0: Still no apology from the Pope on Canada's residential school deaths as we hear from two survivors of the now infamous institution. Plus,
1: The shows over, off.
0: Search warrant executed at Trina Hunt's family home. The latest on the police investigation and...
2: Our biggest layer of defense will be our immunization status.
0: Immunization defense with vaccinations ramping up who makes up the patients dying from COVID-19
3: You're watching Global BC This is Global News Hour at 6
0: Good evening and thanks for joining us. I'm Neetu Garcha. In Kamloops, the Vatican's address is doing little to appease the pain of the tragic findings. Paul Johnson hears from a survivor of the Indian Residential School. And a warning, the content is disturbing and may be triggering for some viewers. So when the cattle truck came, they loaded us on the back of the cattle truck and brought us here to the residential
4: school.
3: You heard that right. Cattle truck that was how rose miller and her brothers were brought to the kamloops residential school from her traditional shoe swap territory in 1949 stolen from their homes she says she was eight
4: we didn't know who these people were we come from a happy home in Canem lake and next thing we're at the school we didn't know who these people were dressed in these black outfits
3: rose's story matches countless others now revealing Canada's residential school system as a sprawling archipelago of child abuse, designed by Ottawa and carried out by Christianity's biggest denominations. Whatever their intention, their actions too often resulted in sadistic abuse. Here's Rosa's account of her public punishment after she tried to run away.
4: All I remember was the nun pulling up her sleeves like this, and jumping and hitting us on the back with that big, thick strap. And I wouldn't give them the satisfaction of crying.
3: Beyond the beatings, she endured rape, malnutrition, and ritual humiliation by the Catholics if she dared to speak her own language. On hearing that the Pope has now reacted to some of this history, here's what Rose would consider a meaningful start.
4: He needs to come here himself and go over to that school. The Pope? Yes, he needs to be right there. He needs to see what we suffered through.
3: In Kamloops, Paul Johnson, Global News.
0: Doing little to achieve reconciliation here in Canada. Amad has that part of the story.
5: These were the steps parishioners walked beside while arriving at Holy Rosary Cathedral in downtown Vancouver for Sunday Mass.
6: The children's shoes
2: and memorabilia that previously had been in front of the art gallery were placed here on the cathedral steps yesterday. And they are a stark reminder that we must pray and we must act.
5: While thousands of kilometers away in St. Peter's Square, Pope Francis spoke of sorrow, but stopped short of apologizing for the Catholic Church involvement in Canada's residential schools.
7: A lot of our community, it's still fresh in their mind. It's been in their mind for a long time, but the, the last 10 days has been really hard with a lot of our survivors.
5: The acknowledgement from the Pope comes 10 days after news of ground-penetrating technology, discovering what could be unmarked burial sites, and remains of 215 indigenous children, deep beneath the former Kamloops residential school. The Pontiff's Twitter statement reading in part, I joined the Canadian Bishop and whole Catholic Church in Canada in expressing my closeness to the Canadian people who have been traumatized by the shocking discovery.
1: When I went to the Vatican a number of years ago, I directly asked uh, His Holiness uh, Pope Francis Uh, to move forward on apologizing, on uh, asking for forgiveness, on restitution, on uh, making these records available, uh, and we're still seeing uh, resistance uh, from the Church, possibly from the Church in Canada.
5: The records in Kamloops are are available, they've been made known, others as well, if there are some Catholic groups that have not provided the records, they should, right away. Keep in mind that the federal government uh, destroyed uh, the residential school records uh, several decades ago. Musqueam Chief Wayne Sparrow says his father, a residential school survivor, struggled with mental health and until his death relied on alcohol to treat decades of pain. He calls the Pope's unwillingness to apologize on behalf of the Catholic Church upsetting and sadly predictable.
7: Not surprised, uh, par for the course, that... Uh, that they don't want to recognize the part that they've taken place, and they've taken a bigger part uh, by running those schools uh, than the federal government or, uh, that has. And uh, it was no surprise to me that they stopped short of an apology, and uh, we have to just keep on it until we uh, get what every one of those uh, children deserve, the survivors do, and the families that have lost their loved ones. Amad
5: Global News.
0: And we'll hear from another survivor of the Kamloops Residential School later in the broadcast. But right now, on Vancouver Island, an Anglican church in Nanaimo turned to bells to commemorate the children found in unmarked burial sites in Kamloops. The Archdeacon of St. Paul's Nanaimo Church was one of four people this afternoon ringing a bell 215 times one for each child's resting place. It was part of an effort by parishioners across Vancouver Island and Gulf Islands. Orange shirts hang at makeshift memorials around the city in tribute to those who died.
8: Gestures like wearing our shirts and ringing bells, that's all they are, are gestures. They're symbolic, but now, now we need to step into action. And what that means for each one of us individually, that might be very different. But we as churches, we as government institutions, uh, we all have a a place uh, in this work that needs to be done. Turning
0: now to confirmation today from the Integrated Homicide Investigation Unit that their probe into the murder of Trina Hunt led to dramatic searches this weekend. Forensic investigators scouring two properties connected to the victim. Grace Key has the latest.
9: A day after investigators searched Ian Hunt's Port Moody home, he's seen driving away from his residence. His parents' mission home was also searched on Saturday, not happy to see news cameras outside. Neighbors say investigators with the Integrated Homicide Investigation Team were at the mission home for several hours. They were spotted loading up a cart with some bagged items. A white Mercedes SUV was also towed away. Global BC has learned the vehicle belonged to Trina. Later that evening, investigators began searching the Port Moody home Trina shared with her husband. Several officers were also on scene entering the home and taking images of the interior. IHIT released a brief statement on Sunday. Investigation into Trina Hunt's homicide continues today. Search warrants for two residences were executed this weekend, one in Port Moody and the other in Mission. No arrests have been made. Trina's cousins told GlobalBC, Ian said the two were in Hope visiting a campsite and were on a digital detox on the weekend of January 15. Monday evening, Ian reported her missing after last seeing her in their Port Moody home before he left for work that morning. On March 29th, a member of the public found the 48 year old's remains south of Silver Creek in Hope. Earlier this week, Ian was spotted outside his home while her family announced a $50,000 reward, leading to an arrest and charge in her murder. I believe that I hit will
10: solve this. They're close. This is just the final push and they are going to get to the bottom of this and this person is going to be arrested.
9: Trina would have celebrated her 49th birthday on Sunday. Grace Key, Global News.
0: Nearly 3 months into mass immunizations, more than 3.2 million British Columbians or almost 63% of the province's population has received at least one dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. Still, the virus claimed more than 120 lives last month. Kristen Robinson has more on who experts say is most at risk of dying from COVID-19.
8: Just under 40 patients are currently battling COVID-19 in the ICU at Surrey Memorial Hospital. Fraser Health confirms most are unvaccinated. St. Paul's respirologist Don Sin says although the number of people dying after contracting the virus has dramatically declined in the last eight weeks, immunization is not 100% foolproof.
5: There may be one or two or three individuals who may uh, succumb to the disease despite full vaccination. But I would say majority have um, not received the vaccination who have uh, developed very severe COVID.
8: We asked the BC Health Ministry how many of the 123 COVID-19 related deaths reported from May 3rd to 31st were in the unvaccinated. The province would only say it has identified a small number of infections among those who have received their vaccine and the infections are generally milder than those in unvaccinated people.
5: There is, um, you know, a one to two to three percent chance um, that there will be breakthrough cases.
8: Or instances where a vaccinated person contracts COVID, but doctors say those are rare.
5: We're having high levels
2: of protection once there's been a three week interval from the first dose. And so that's in the high
8: 90%. Lionsgate Hospital's Dr. Kevin McLeod tweets that while very small numbers of us will still get sick, most admissions are for those unvaccinated or those who just got the vaccine and haven't had enough time to develop immunity.
5: The second at-risk group are are those with pre-existing comorbidities that prevent uh, good antibody formation.
8: The best shot at preventing deaths or hospitalizations? Two doses.
5: I haven't encountered anyone who had received two vaccines, two doses of their vaccine, who uh, became very ill from COVID. I have yet to see that.
8: Kristen Robinson,
0: Global News. If you received an AstraZeneca vaccine from a pharmacy in BC, you can expect to be contacted very soon to book an appointment to get a second dose of an immunization. BC pharmacies are receiving supplies of AstraZeneca for second doses starting tomorrow. They'll be reaching out as they manage the supply. If you've decided you would prefer to take a Pfizer or Moderna vaccine instead, you can register on the BC vaccination website to do so. While it's still recommended to take the same type of vaccine for both doses, public health officials say you get to make the choice to take an mRNA for your second dose. Dr. Bonnie Henry has stated mixing and matching is safe and equally effective, and the risk of a rare blood clot infection is even lower during your second dose. Second dose appointments for Pfizer and Moderna vaccines will also begin in earnest on Monday. And for analysis on this, we're joined now by Keith Baldry from Victoria. So Keith, the rates of second doses will start ramping up now.
7: Oh, big time. Again, this began just a little more than a week ago where the first doses started to, to decline, second doses starting to ramp up because the interval between the two shots now has been shrunk to eight weeks. So, so many people now are eligible for a second shot, including 280,000 people, most of the 280,000 people who've got AstraZeneca. Take a look at the statistics from uh, the week leading into last, where again, the column on the left is the number of first doses. See how that number is starting to decline. The number on the right, the second doses, that That number is starting to increase significantly, going from 6,500 on May 30th to 27,000 plus on June 3rd, just in the space of a few days. That 27,000 is now going to grow and grow and grow. And sometime this week, there's going to be more second doses than first doses. The implications of that are this, that it took a certain amount of time to go from 62% to 70% vaccination rate. Uh, That uh, length of time is going to be expanded now as we get so many people now getting a second dose more than getting. the first dose. So we're at 72% vaccination rate right now. We're going to get to 80, but it's not going to be as fast a climb as it was to get from 60 to 70. But we are going to get there. We're probably looking at the end of June now for an 80% plus vaccination rate. We want to get to at least 90, but the climb between 70 and 90 is going to take a lot longer time than the climb between 24% at the beginning of April to 72% right now. But the good news is so many people are about to get that second dose.
0: That is excellent news indeed. All right. Thanks so much for that, Keith. Well, the federal government has granted a travel exemption for the final two rounds of the Stanley Cup playoffs. That would allow for NHL teams to cross the Canada-U.S. border without having to isolate for 14 days. Players and other personnel will be subject to daily COVID-19 testing, as well as additional tests when they enter and leave the country on private planes. Players will also be placed in modified quarantine bubbles inside team hotels and the arena. Two B.C.-based charities are raising the alarm over inequitable vaccine access in the countries they serve abroad. As vaccines allow our province to slowly reopen, Axe for Water and Thrive for Good, which work in East Africa, are calling on the Canadian government to take action at the upcoming G7 meetings in the UK. African countries have received a few doses so far, and an average of just under 2% of the population has received their first shot. With donations down during COVID-19, both charities are urging Canada to better fund vaccine distribution in underdeveloped countries and start sharing doses with COVAX.
5: It was just a few months ago where Canada was really in a very similar position to many of the countries in East Africa and Africa in general, where we were begging our neighbours to the south to release some of their vaccine supplies uh, so that we could restart our economy. And I just think it's it's really important that as we open up, that we remember uh, those who do not yet have access to vaccines. We can help prevent Uh, Thousands of deaths and the oncoming catastrophe that could happen in Africa like we've witnessed in India.
0: Marine Drive in White Rock will begin being one-way starting on Monday. City Hall voted on May 10th to temporarily close one lane of the street running along the waterfront to allow restaurants to expand patios for outdoor service. Marine Drive will be only eastbound from Vidal to Maple Street. The changes are to accommodate more outdoor seating for restaurants along the popular strip. Other municipalities have closed parking lanes and extended outdoor areas to help hard hit restaurants in order to increase capacity. A small group of protesters gathered outside of the offices of Teal Jones in Surrey today over logging at Ferry Creek on Vancouver Island.
8: more standing! more standing!
0: Protesters are calling for an end to logging in the Old Growth Watershed near Port Renfrew and have set up a blockade. Teal Jones, and with the support of the First Nation, has been granted a legal license to harvest timber in the area. As of Saturday, more than 172 protesters have been arrested at the site for breaking the Supreme Court injunction. But those protesting say they have no plans to stop. People are fed up. The, the uh, forest defenders—they,
11: um, I don't think they're going anywhere. And the more the RCMP tries to enforce the injunction, the more people
0: show up at the blockades to support them. The province has granted Teal Jones the licenses to log in the disputed area in question, with the company adding the province has pulled substantial areas out of tree farm licenses and protected them. And the First Nation, whose territory encompasses the Ferry Creek watershed, has repeatedly called for protesters to move on. Coming up after the break, honoring a veteran on this D-Day anniversary.
4: It was a job to be done that needed to be done and that's what we did.
0: The fly passed for Jack Logan as he counts down to his 100th birthday and this former Kamloops residential school student's message to fellow survivors. Stay with us. The tragedy of the residential school system in Canada is really made up of hundreds of thousands of individual stories of children and families torn apart by institutionalized racism. And while I was reporting in Kamloops earlier this week, one survivor of the Kamloops Indian Residential School decided to tell me the story of his ordeal and his trauma, even though it re-traumatized him. A warning, the content of this story is disturbing and may be triggering for some viewers. When he tries to talk about the memories from more than four decades ago, it's evident how much they still haunt him. Douglas Heisen eustache told us he wanted to open up about his experience as a student at the former Kamloops Residential School after learning about the children's remains found nearby.
4: You know, I didn't know there um, could be little kids that were buried there, it? and it broke down pretty bad. <laughs> I was there from '71 to '75. I could hear my friends and I crying, getting dragged, dragged downstairs, whatever.
0: Eustache's story is a tragic testament to the trauma tied to the country's colonial past. And the recent discovery here has reopened wounds so deep, he says he can't sleep at night. He told us he wanted to share his story, but it brought up so much pain, he was unable to continue his interview with us.
4: I wanted to get out there so bad, but I was raped and abused, mentally, physically, sexually, and all that. You know, I hear about all these kids that might be my family over there buried too. I can't do this.
0: He's wearing a neck brace, he says, after being assaulted by strangers on the streets who he says hurled racist slurs as they kicked and punched him. But recovering from that beating, he says, pales in comparison to his attempts to heal from childhood horrors he's been reliving in recent days. In downtown Kamloops, it's sadly not hard to find his fellow survivors also living out much of their lives on the city streets. Eustache is encouraging them to seek professional help. As I sat with him and in the hours after this moment, he told me he's determined to heal for the sake of future generations. There is a 24 hour support line set up for survivors of the residential school system. If you or someone you know needs help, the number to call is 1 866 925 4419. The city of Vancouver is seeking architectural services to help staff repair the field house at Oppenheimer Park. The downtown Eastside Park remains closed to the public more than a year after the province shut down a long-standing tent city as part of its COVID-19 response. The city has issued a request for proposals for mechanical structural and electrical consultants to help repair and renew the existing fieldhouse interior. The city spent at least $3.5 million on the encampment, including $750,000 to rebuild the fieldhouse after damage and vandalism. Victoria police are asking for the public's help to find a unique bicycle stolen from a young athlete. The suspect, described as a white man between 25 to 35 years old, was captured on surveillance. He's accused of stealing a black Da Spartan Carbon XL mountain bike worth about $10,000 from a locked storage area at a hotel in the 700 block of Douglas Street. The specialized bike belongs to a competitive rider who was staying in Victoria for a competition If you recognize the suspect, you are asked to contact Victoria Police. A tragic end in the search for a woman near Karameas after she was swept away in the river. RCMP say 43-year-old Amy Sabine was in a vehicle that veered off the road and plunged into the Ashnola River, sparking a major search effort. The search made more difficult because of fast-moving water. Search and rescue crews recovered her body Saturday morning, about 15 kilometers from where her vehicle went off the road. Her family has been notified. We are heading into that time of year where drownings become increasingly common, but visitors to some shoe-swap beaches will soon have another resource on hand if someone gets into trouble in the water. The local marine search and rescue group is installing 10 life ring stations around that region. The hope is the flotation devices will make it easier for bystanders to provide aid before tragedy strikes. BC's interior has lots of inviting
11: waterways. But tragically, each year, some trips to the lake turn fatal. Data from the Life Saving Society shows, on average, the Okanagan and Shushwap record seven drowning deaths each year. Now, the Shushwap Royal Canadian Marine Search and Rescue Station is working to make it easier for bystanders to respond to emergencies on the water installing 10 life ring stations at waterfront locations around the Shushua. Two have already been set up in Sycamuse.
3: Right here at this beach, uh, kids might be in swimming and, and if somebody got in trouble, we would throw them a life ring and it's got a long lanyard on it so we could pull the individual back in.
1: So it's all a matter of speed. You know, we hope that we don't have to be called out to that event.
11: Back in 2018, three teens had to be rescued in the area.
1: They went for a swim. Uh, They didn't realize there was a current down there and they actually started moving away. They tried to swim back and couldn't. We actually got called out to uh, bring those kids back in. So um, that was a very quick one. In that event, that life ring could have helped those young
11: men. Two more of the stations are earmarked for Enderby Parks, popular with people floating on the Shushwap River.
3: It's in a river and so there's a current. And so if a person got in trouble on the water... Uh, with a bit of a current, rather than you jumping in, taking a chance of risking your own life, you can throw a ring out to them and, and tow them in.
11: In Enderby, the search and rescue group will also be adding two stations where people can borrow kids' life jackets. More than a dozen similar kiosks are already operating in the shoe swamp.
3: We don't want there to be any excuses that people aren't safe on the water or that a young person could be in any danger.
11: The group wants to see the life rings widely available near the water and says strong demand means they'll likely have
0: to make more. Megan Tercado Global News, Sick Moose. A veteran broadcaster and longtime organizer of Vancouver's Remembrance Day ceremonies has passed away.
1: We remember and we are free.
3: Simple words.
0: Cam Cathcart presided over Remembrance Day ceremonies in Vancouver for decades after a successful career as a correspondent. He was also the first weather anchor for Chan TV in 1960. Cathcart served in the Royal Canadian Artillery, showing a love of the military that lasted until the day he died. He passed away suddenly yesterday at the age of 83. He survived by his wife Christine and two daughters Sean and Erin.
1: He did an awful lot for veterans and veterans' causes in the Lower Mainland and in Vancouver. He was awarded the uh, Veterans Ombudsman's commendation, and uh, he'll be sorely missed.
0: And our condolences to the entire Cathcart family. All right, time now for a break, but coming up, a daring rescue.
2: Uh That is a skunk with a McFlurry cup on his head.
0: The skunk that created a stink without spraying anyone. That story on the other side of this break. Stay with us.
3: You're watching Global News Hour at 6.
6: That's TV successful.
8: Oh,
0: you did it. <laughs> Taking law and odor to a new level, the potentially stinky save just ahead. But first let's check in with meteorologist Yvonne Schell for a look at our forecast. And before we
10: get to tonight and this week, let's look back at the drama in the skies <laughs> last night. Yeah, we had some active weather, a bit of a mixed bag. And if you managed to capture this, uh, this was in Vancouver and this is one of our producers, Nick's he captured a great shot of the rainbow that was there out there last evening. And we had several shots. So gorgeous. So thank you so much, Nick, for that great shot. Now, Here's a current shot of what we're looking at, and we are tracking some wet weather active, especially as we get in overnight tonight. Temperatures have been cool today, only up to 12. We're currently sitting at 11 degrees. We've got a northeasterly wind right now, and it's at about 20 kilometers per hour. So here's the moisture. We're seeing it along the island, a few spots along the Sunshine Coast. Most of the heavier precipitation just along the western edge right now, and we're starting to see it in the Fraser Valley. It is going to continue. We will see that chance for some rain, and we're also adding the risk of a thunderstorm this evening overnight and then we'll look at a few showers just in towards the early morning hours. Good news though, as we get in towards the afternoon, a bit of a clearing is on the way and temperatures should manage to bump up to 17 degrees. The average for this time of the year is it's closer to 19. A look ahead, especially as we get in towards the afternoon, a break for Metro Vancouver. Could still see some active weather. The northern and central half of the island looking at the risk of thunderstorms and that'll even spread along the Sunshine Coast. Now the northern half of the province for tomorrow, we've got some bright spots along the coast in Inland, however, is where we'll see that instability. Much of the northeastern corners of the province, it's the southern half of Fort Nelson and a few spots in towards the peace, tracking some wet weather and then working its way in towards the central interior is where we'll see the risk of thunderstorms. Much of the Columbia and Kootenay tomorrow will still see a fair bit of cloud cover and also tracking rain. For the tops of Okanagan, it'll be a brighter start to the morning. Temperatures will be at 19 degrees and the winds are going to pick up up to 20 kilometers per hour. Risk of thunderstorms is going to extend into Whistler and then the northern and central half of the island, especially the eastern half, will be keeping a close eye. Victoria should start to clear out, especially towards the afternoon. Metro Vancouver, we do have a range tomorrow. 17 areas into the Fraser Valley should get up to 19 degrees. Tuesday, we've got some cloud cover. A bright spot looks to be on Wednesday, but it's very isolated and a slight chance we'll see precipitation. So it should be dry. And then Thursday, Friday, we're also seeing those temperatures getting up to 19 degrees, a chance for some showers in the morning hours. And then we are looking at the potential and the risk of thunderstorms, or some clearing by the afternoon and some risk of thunderstorms this evening. Nithu, All right. Thanks so much, Yvonne. Well, a happy day for those caring for a turtle that had been
0: run over by a vehicle in West Kelowna. there it goes. This western painted turtle was brought into the Rose Valley Veterinary Clinic with a broken shell last week. Veterinarian Dr. Moshi Oz says that dozens of these reptiles are run over every year along Westlake Road as they migrate between ponds, unfortunately across a busy road. But in this case, the turtle recovered from its injuries and was returned back to a pond where he swam off back into its natural habitat. Good to hear. An Ontario police officer took on a notorious black and white mammal in distress and won. Peel Police sharing a video with the question, what do you get when a police officer and a skunk cross? Here's how the episode of Law and Odor went.
2: Yep, yeah, that is a skunk with a McFlurry cup on his head. An officer of the month here is trying to avoid all attempts to get it sprayed. That teeth successful.
8: Oh, he did it! He did
0: it! <laughs> he did, he did it! indeed. Constable Zamati, commended by his colleagues for taking on this high risk task and helping out a furry friend in need. <laughs> you know, Reminder for everybody make sure
10: you put your garbage in a place where animals can't get to it. No kidding. He's brave. Good thing there's social distancing right now, yes. just in case something did happen. Would you well. call
2: that common sense? <laughs>
10: Oh it's my God! The dad
2: jokes are there fantastic. Yeah, I know it's part of the <laughs> I'm job. Gotta throw one in there.
10: So good, I love it. Part
2: of it. the description.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll let you describe for us what's coming up in sports. Barry. Uh,
2: well, it's gold for Canada at the World Hockey Championships. <laughs> the team that just keeps coming back. They had another comeback overtime win over the Finns. So highlights of that, and uh, Hab fans across the country are rejoicing. The Canadians are a game away from the conference finals. So highlights of their win over Winnipeg as well.
0: Exciting moment. All right, thanks so much, Barry. Also coming up, the power of music. It essentially launched my career. So for me, it had a huge impact. The arts campaign that sparked careers and social change in Vancouver. David Vertesi had a plan to help reinvigorate arts and culture in Vancouver. Now we can see the legacy of that campaign throughout Mount Pleasant after he recently stepped down from founding the Vancouver Mural Festival. But as Jay Durant reports, the impact he's had extends far beyond just those creative works.
1: It's a legacy laid out in color all over the city. After the creation of more than 300 murals, David Vertesi's vision has not only helped transform these once bland city walls, it's changed the local art scene.
8: It essentially launched my career. So for me, it had a huge impact and I know it's had a huge impact on several artists.
1: One of the goals was to deliver inclusivity on these concrete canvases giving all artists the opportunity to not only earn money but to tell their stories and share their history. Some
6: really incredible experiences working with uh, you know, marginalized communities and, and groups that wouldn't otherwise have this type of visibility on the
1: walls. <laughs> And then there's the local music scene. After finding success on his own and with the band Hey Ocean, Vertesi was the driving force behind Sing It Ford. Students were able to step on stage with well known Canadian musicians before a sold out audience. They raised over $230,000 for the St. James Music Academy and its programs for kids in the downtown East Side.
6: It's not just a music school, it's really a place that recognizes that the power of music to affect social change and support kids who need that support the most on the downtown east side.
2: We will keep on
6: One year we had uh, a young woman, she was just so nervous to be up there with them and she just killed it and the crowd loved it.
10: Die with
8: a
6: She's told me since that it's, that was a really empowering moment for her.
1: Right now, this champion of the arts is taking a short break, but always thinking of a new initiative. And as for that little painting project he put together? Well, it's in good hands and will continue to grow.
6: We always get people saying, oh, you're going to run out of walls. But no, there's endless, endless uh, walls and locations to be working in. Jay Durant, Global News.
0: If you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that people need to know about, email your ideas to thisisbc at globalnews.ca. And coming up, the hockey draft milestone as a female player makes history. Also ahead.
4: just special to have, uh, well, to reach that, that age,
0: a special fly pass for a BC pilot counting down to his 100th birthday.
1: Part of Covenant House's Spring Match Campaign. Support Covenant House Vancouver in their mission to provide love, shelter, and more to young people overcoming homelessness. This spring, when you donate, your gift will be matched for twice the impact in our community. Help the Coast Mental Health Foundation change the lives of people living with mental illness during their Courage to Go Further challenge. Pick a challenge that is important to you and raise critical funds to support our vulnerable neighbors. Courage to go further.CA for details. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman.
2: If you, wanna know, if you want to know, it's on the hub. If you want to show, it's on
6: the hub. If you want to go, it's on the house. The Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now.
0: All right. Before we get to the full sports cast with Barry, the glass ceiling has been shattered again. This time in the Ontario Hockey League, Taya Curry has made history as the first female selected in the Ontario Hockey League draft. The 16-year-old goalie was snapped up by the Sarnia Sting at 267th overall. The five-foot-seven player last played for the Elgin Middlesex Chiefs Triple A boys under-16 team. Menon Raoum is the only woman to play in the NHL when she played in exhibition games for the Tampa Bay Lightning in 1992 and 1993. Curry says it would be awesome to suit up for an OHL game and break more barriers, but she's also considering taking the NCAA route, as many elite female hockey players choose to do. And, of course, we wish her the very best Mm -hmm. as we welcome in Barry for a look at sports and more hockey news, Barry.
2: Yeah, the uh, Canadian boys did it in uh, Latvia today. Thanks, Nithu. You may not have uh, recognized a lot of the names on the backs of the jerseys, but it's that Canadian logo on the front that powered Canada to one of its most unlikely gold medals ever at a World Hockey Championships. This group never gave up, even after stumbling out of the gate in the tournament to an 0-3 start, and they capped off their epic comeback with a thrilling 3-2 win over Finland in the gold medal game today in Latvia. Gerard Gallant, Team Canada head coach, really turned this group into a team over the 16 days. Canada got into penalty trouble in the first, took three minors, and as one penalty ended, Michael Ruomoja a uh, quick move to beat Darcy Kemper. one nothing Finns after one. But in the second, Canada tied it on a power play. Maxime Comtois gets a fortunate bounce and jams that one in. It's 1-1 after two. Goals against the Finns, hard to come by. So when Finland went in front on this Pateri Lindbaum shot, fires it through a screen that didn't look good for Canada. 2-1 Finland in front. Kemper never saw that one but Canada gets another power play and they execute beautifully. Maxime Comtois with the between the legs back pass and it's captain Adam Henrique who hammers it in Ties at 2-2. They need overtime to decide the gold medal. They go 3-on-3. Three three. Finland wins the draw, but Nick Paul reads it perfectly. Steals it 2-on-1 with Connor Brown. And the Ottawa Senator teammates work it to perfection. Paul delivers the golden goal. Canada comes from the back of the pack at the start of this tournament to win gold at the end. Not many people saw that coming. Vancouver Giants head coach Michael Dick was an assistant coach with team Canada. There he is hugging some of the players and Canucks goalie Mikey DiPietro in the uh, black sweatsuit there. He was their third goalie. He gets a gold as well. Canada shows its heart. Andrew Mangiapani named tournament MVP as Canada wins its third gold in six years. Well, as you may have heard earlier on the news hour, the federal government announced today they have made an exception to the 14-day quarantine to uh, allow either the Habs or Jets to host playoff games in the third round and beyond as U.S.-based teams will provide the opposition. And that's good news for the Whitecaps, who were waiting on this decision as they hope to start playing home games at B.C. Place sometime this summer. Speaking of the Habs and Jets, Game 3 for Montreal, where Hab fans were in the building again. Canadians with a 2-0 series lead, and they got off to another good start. Corey Perry with the shot. Ramps up off a Jet stick and past Connor Hellebuck. one nothing Montreal. The Canadians have not trailed in a game for their last six games. Second period, Jets looking to tie it, but Blake Wheeler finds the crossbar. Winnipeg's goal drought over 90 minutes. And just moments after that, Habs crash the net. Brendan Gallagher in there. Finally, it's Arturi Lecken and jamming it in. 2 nothing Montreal, and look who's celebrating. It's the great Hab Guy Lafleur, the flower, loving it. And then with the Jets on the power play, looking for life. The Habs sucked the life out of them with yet another shorthanded goal. It's Yoel Armia, the former Winnipeg Jet, 3 nothing canadians winnipeg did get one to get to 3-1 but the habs seal it on the power play as the rookie cole caulfield finds nick suzuki canadians win 5-1 they lead the series 3-0 game four tomorrow night as the habs go for the sweep to get to the final four Well, I guess this is the uh, tennis version of load management. The great Roger Federer pulled out of the French Open today despite advancing to the fourth round yesterday. Federer has had two knee surgeries in the last year and at age 39 wants to preserve his body for the upcoming grass court season as he chases a record ninth Wimbledon title. Serena Williams is also 39, turns 40 in September. She's won 23 Grand Slams, including three French Opens, looking to get to the quarters today against 21-year-old Elena Ribakina. But Serena finding out the kids these days can match her firepower. Ribakina with the forehand winner won the first set 6-3. Serena was up 5-4 in the second, but Ribakina loads up another forehand and goes on to win at 6-3, 7-5. So Serena remains stalled on 23 grand slams. NBA playoffs, Game 7, Mavericks and Clippers, first time ever in NBA history that the road team has won the first six games of a series. Luka Doncic uh, trying to do his best to make it 7. Poured in, 46. It's a tie game in the third. Kawhi Leonard tied a career high with 45 points in Game 6 to get the Clips back to Staples Center. Kawhi clutch again in Game 7. Offensive rebound and put back. 94-83 Clips. They led by 15 after 3. And Kawhi made sure there was no comeback this time. Driving layup. He had a game-high 28 Clippers beat the Mavericks 126-111. L.A. moves on to meet the Utah Jazz in the second round. Earlier, game one in the Eastern Conference semis, Atlanta Hawks and the number one seed Philadelphia 76ers. Hawks jumped all over Philly. Trey Young had 25 at the half, including the long Trey. Atlanta put up 74 in the first. They led by uh, 20. 76ers close the gap in the fourth, but Bogdan Bogdanovich shushes the crowd with the three. Hawks hang on for the road win 128 124. Trey Young leading the way with 35 points. Maple Ridge's uh, Tyler O'Neill continues to have a breakout season with the St. Louis Cardinals. The 25-year-old has got some pop in that bat, smashes his 13th homer of the season today. That is top 15 in the National League. He's also got 29 RBI. Already, those are career highs. He's only played in 40 games. The Cards, though, did lose it. And more baseball. Blue Jays and Astros. Houston jumped on Jays starter Stephen Matz for a couple of homers in the first two innings. This one by Chaz McCormick. Astros never look back. They beat the Jays 6-3. They win two out of three on the weekend. The Jays record drops to 30-27. Final round, Women's U.S. Open from beautiful San Francisco. The Olympic Club, a very tough test of golf. Canada's Brooke Henderson had another solid day. Nice birdie putt at the eighth. One under 70 today, finished tied for seventh at one over. That second round, 78, really did cost her a chance to win the tournament. Lexi Thompson was in total control. Check out the approach here at the fifth. As she will run that one onto the green, it will cozy up to a couple of feet away. Made the birdie. She got it to eight under. She had a five-shot lead at one point. It looked like a runaway, but never at the U.S. Open is it easy. And she gave it all back on the back nine. Needs this putt to join a two-player playoff, but she missed. She was five over on the back. That's tough for Lexi, finished at minus three. Playoff went to three holes between Japan's Nasa Hataoka and 19-year-old Yuka Sasso of the Philippines. And Sasso sinks the birdie putt to win her very first major, and it just happens to be the U.S. Open. Final round of the Memorial Jacks Tournament... And uh, John Rahm, of course, had to withdraw yesterday with a six-shot lead because of COVID. Colin Morikawa and Patrick Cantley ended up going to a playoff. First playoff hole, Cantley rolls in the long par putt. That puts the pressure on Morikawa. Has to make his, but he misses, and Cantley wins his second Memorial title. Abbotsford's Nick Taylor finished tied 42nd at plus 3, 16 behind the winner. And on the Champions Tour, it was a Canadian sweep. Stephen Ames of Calgary won Mike Weir of uh, Ontario was second. There you go.
0: Congratulations to them. Thanks so much, Barry. And coming up, the special D-Day anniversary tribute for a B.C. veteran who's counting down to another anniversary later this week. A B.C. veteran being honoured in a private ceremony at a Langley airport on this, the 77th anniversary of D-Day. The Canadian Museum of Flight firing up its Tiger Moth biplane in honor of Jack Logan of Sauwasen. The flypast organized to celebrate Logan's 100th birthday coming up on Wednesday. Logan flew anti-submarine missions on D-Day. On D-Day, Logan was out hunting German U-boats in the Atlantic Ocean from a base in Scotland.
4: Ended up there at seven in the morning, roughly. Had to sleep. Got up and had to have breakfast over in the mess. And of course, when we got to the mess, everybody's all excited because they, they've heard that the, the invasion had taken place that morning.
0: incredible
10: memory happy birthday mm-hmm. absolutely and he looks
2: incredibly yeah. uh, young i have to say <laughs>
10: yeah. yes incredible if i
2: ever make it close to 100 i'd like to look like
10: yeah <laughs> i'm sure you will <laughs> all right his birthday is on wednesday yvonne what will the weather be like uh so far hoping to see some breaks but a heads up for this evening we've got active weather and the chance for some thunderstorms send in your photos if you get good ones tonight thanks so much for joining us everybody have a great night